Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon and I am your host and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled, this podcast is for the world at large. If you have a heartbeat, this is for you. The world is just so good at giving things, uh, providing things that don't actually satisfy us and our brothers and sisters. And, and we too are just longing for the true food, the true drink that can only satisfy our deepest desires in our hearts. The world is starving for Jesus, for the bread of life, which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So our title, New Manna, comes from John six fifty eight. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. So each episode of New Manna will consist of two things, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, and then a conversation about a bite-sized chunk of a beautiful papal document pertaining to the Eucharist and worship. So today I have the distinct pleasure of being joined by Father Scott Wallish and Father Dan Morris. Gentlemen, thanks for being here today. You bet. Great to be with you. Thanks for having us. So tell me about who you are, what's, where you're at, what's, what's your priesthood look like right now? So uh, I'm Father Scott Wallish. I am uh, ordained now for uh, 12 and a half years, and um, I am the pastor at St. Joseph in Shawnee. Very grateful to be there, uh, but also help Father Dan with uh, our seminarians. I'm the former vocation director, and um, I also work with our deaf community here in the Archdiocese. That's beautiful. How how did you get involved with the, the deaf community? Um, in seminary, I actually started learning sign language. It was an option for us uh, as part of our apostolic work, and it just so happened that the archdiocese needed uh, a chaplain. And so as soon as I came back to the diocese and was ordained, uh, got thrown in, and I, I love it. As, uh, something we're going to be doing with this podcast is it's going to be we're going to transcribe it for people. Awesome. And there's going to be a link in each, uh, in the show notes of every episode that we do for, for our deaf brothers and sisters that they can click on to uh, have access to the content that we're, we're producing because we want to make it available to all of our communities. Yeah, I'm grateful for that, for sure. So Father Dan, where are you at right now? Right now, I am vocation director for the Archdiocese. I've been blessed to be a priest for seven and a half years. Actually came into... The seminary under Father Mitchell, but then was really formed by the man sitting across the table from me, Father Scott Wallace. Right and on. To be honest with you, I think I feel like I've followed in his footsteps uh, for the most of my priesthood, uh, being chaplain at St. James Academy for my first three years, following him as vocation director. So it's been a blessing just to journey with him my entire priesthood. Uh, I live at the University of Kansas. That's usually where the vocation director works and lives, uh, just because it's the hub of a lot of potential vocations, sure. young adults in their lives in college, that are at that point in their lives where they're making those kind of decisions and encountering Jesus Christ on a, on a deeper level. So, Rock chalk. Rock chalk. Man, a lot of KU folks around here. So good. St. James, uh, what's St. James? St. James Academy, high school. Go Thunder. Yep. Shout out to all you, you thund- Thunder, they're just called Thunder. Are they called Singular th- Thunder? I, I don't know. Like, I'm yeah. a Thunder. Both and... That's great. Oh man, um, it, I, the Lord is just active, and He's about a good work in uh, in this place, all across the country, all over the world. 
uh, different seasons and times for every every uh, location that we uh, find ourselves in as church. And I just love what the Lord's doing here in Kansas City. It is it is up and coming, and He is about a good work. And so to to kind of get this off the ground, I, where did your journey with of falling in love with Jesus uh, in the Eucharist, where did that start and uh, what happened? Yeah, well, for me, um, I grew up in a family that was very devout and um, going to Mass was something important to my parents. They went every day. I didn't often, I almost never went with them, but I saw them go. Um, and then I think it was probably in college, actually, at the University of Kansas at the St. Lawrence Center, where um, the idea of daily mass became more and more prevalent for me. Um, and I just found so much um, peace there. Uh, it was just a great way to root my day. And I was thinking about this the other day um, after I presented to our RCIA class, but um, it, it had already um, rooted itself so much in me by the time I was about 20 or 21, when I went to Italy for a study abroad program, and um, it was just people going to, to study architecture. There were a handful of Catholics, but it was mostly just... So you're in, uh, you studied architecture at... Uh, uh, yes, I, I, um, I have degrees in architectural engineering and architecture. Awesome. And uh, so I was over there studying architecture, and... Uh, but before I went, I went to a religious goods store with my mom and we got a, a missile um, so that I could read in English um, when I went to Mass and um, probably went over there just thinking that would be for, for Sunday Masses. But I found myself going to, to daily Mass to a little convent that was down the street from our apartment. And even though everything was in Italian, um, it was, I knew where we were, I knew what we were doing, and it was still just very powerful for me. Um, and so that, like the universi universality of the church and the, the wisdom of the church's vision for the mass and God's vision for the mass, that it be something that is the same everywhere. And you, you can with confidence know that, that Jesus shows up, that, that Jesus is there in the Eucharist and that you're receiving him um, that just came to me very powerfully then. Um, but the Eucharist uh, became a, an even greater part of my life when um, a friend of mine, actually now Father Mitchell Zimmerman, he was just a seminarian at the time, he encouraged me to join him for a holy hour um, at uh, Holy Trinity when I was a parishioner there, and he was serving there. And he's like, yeah, let's do this holy hour together, and let's go find out what hour they need. And so we went, and they needed... 2 a.m. on Friday mornings. We're like, yeah, okay, let's do this. We signed up. So we signed up, and he and I showed up the first Friday and did it together, and then he never showed up again. <laughs> um, but I continued to have that hour for three three years. And that was really the time where I took I started to take my formation and my discernment, rather, uh, very seriously. And it was during that time when I finally stopped running away from God's call and um, em embraced going to the seminary. But I, th I think being able to be with Jesus by myself every week for an hour, even though it's a struggle uh, to stay awake at 2 a.m., but sure. just you, you, can't, um, you can't escape like really encountering him and encountering his will 
if you're willing to put yourself there, you know, regularly. And for all of our listeners out there who um, think they know what a holy hour is, or maybe those who don't, could you kind of tell like literally what that is and kind of what the spirit of a holy hour should look like? Certainly. So uh, a lot of parishes now have adoration chapels or they have times throughout the week that uh, where there are several hours in a row where people come for adoration and you would sign up for an hour um, coming from uh, Jesus in the garden asking Peter, James, and John if they could just give him an hour. And so you spend an hour, the Lord is exposed, the Blessed Sacrament is, is exposed in the monstrance and just spend that time, and I mean, you can spend it any way you want, but usually in in um, Thanksgiving and adoration and meditation, um, just just being with Jesus and and having a, a friendly conversation with Him. Mm. I love that. It's just it's just making yourself available, right? Yeah. I mean, it's um, depending on who you talk to. Those everyone's got uh, how you should pray opinion, um, but yeah, just just being there. Uh, speaks volumes and uh, allowing the Lord to just work on your heart is is so good. Um, so you talked about your mom and your dad, your, your parents having a, a significant role in, in your kind of coming to with uh, seeing Jesus for who he really is in yeah. the Eucharist. Can you speak into that a little bit more? Like what was that relationship with like, uh, with your parents like? Sure. Yeah. So uh, certainly um, weekly mass was, was it wasn't negotiable. I mean, that was just a, a given. And I don't even remember any of us kind of pushing back against that because it just had been formed in us so early that we were like, yeah, that's what you, that's what you do. But then, as I said, seeing them go every morning um, was very inspiring. But they also, uh, for 20, 25 years, had a holy hour that they did at a local parish um, at midnight on Tuesday nights. And um, so, yeah, just seeing their Eucharistic devotion mm. and they they speak about how um, the faith of a child is heavily dependent on the faith of the father. Mm. And uh, uh, both my parents had deep, deep faith and do. Um, and uh, But my dad's faith, especially in the Eucharist and how he would talk about the Eucharist and the church with uh, such reverence and respect, um, c- certainly with time really kind of uh, got deeply embedded in me. Hmm. That's powerful. And how many, do you have a, are you from a big family or is it just you or? Oh, I'm the youngest of eight. There's wow. se- seven boys and girl. So they, they had their hands full and yet they had this holy hour at midnight on Tuesdays. Right. And, wow. and, and again, going to, going to mass every morning. So wow. somehow they would weave that into a busy morning of getting everybody ready to go off to school and all of that. Praise God. That is, that's intense. Yeah. Wow. Father Dan, uh, tell us about, uh, y- your story. Like where, where were you at? Like your upbringing and, and kind of how you fell in love with Jesus. Feel free to speak into that. Sure. So I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. I'm the youngest of two. Uh, my mom is Catholic, and my dad is not Catholic, but he supported us, my mom, mm. in going to church with us every Saturday night. Um, yeah, receiving all of those blessings of, of the support of both parents. And so the rhythm of life was definitely built in what Father Scott kind of alluded to as well. Mm. Um, it was a non-negotiable, but it, I, I was never one myself who resisted going to Mass on the weekend. Sure. Um, there was something about that rhythm of life 
that even when I went to college and I went to Emporia State for two years and then transferred to KU, graduated from KU, even when I went to Emporia State and KU, um, there was something missing if I didn't go to Mass on Sunday. I couldn't maybe put my finger on it or name it, but there there would have been something missing. And so, yeah, there wasn't hardly a time when I didn't go to Sunday Mass, even during my time in college, when it became my own decision. You know, when I was thinking about, like, is there that moment where I can put my finger on where I fell in love with Jesus and started going to Eucharistic Adoration mm-hmm. more and even started going to daily Mass? I mean, I know that it took place post-college, because that's just kind of the arc of my conversion mm. story, even though I kind of never left the church. The deepening sure. took place through a couple of events that happened right after college. Um, but as one who goes to Camp Tekawitha and hears confessions and spends time with our youth, a lot of times those youth speak of the most powerful moment of that time at camp as deep prayer night. Mm. It's time spent in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, and I was thinking, I don't know that I could put my finger on one time when, maybe it's just because I'm 47 and my memory is going slowly, but like I couldn't recall one time where that was the moment. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about my conversion story, I think it was always in the context of finding myself within a larger believing community. Mm. And for me, post-college, that ended up being City on a Hill in the Kansas City metro areas. It was just getting its start in 2006, 2007, 2008. I entered seminary in 2009. But the more I started to immerse myself in the lives of that believing community along other, alongside other people who were my age, who their rhythm of life was, hey, let's go to daily Mass. Sure. Hey, let's go to this event, Theology on Tap. And the more that that started to happen, slowly I started to get more out of Mass, encounter Him deeper in the Mass, and then even find my periods of time to be like, I want to go take that to adoration mm. uh, this given week or that given time. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, it just happened more organically, I think, in my life. Maybe we'll talk about at priesthood at some point, sure. but yeah, how that how that plays itself out now. Um, as vocation director, I'm in my car a lot. I'm traveling to a lot of different places. I say mass at some place different every day. That's kind of cool. So I'm in my Monday mornings. I'm at St. Thomas Aquinas High School. Mm. Tuesdays, I'm at Hayden High School in Topeka. Wednesdays and Thursdays, I'm at St. James Academy. And then I say Masses from time to time at the St. Lawrence Center at KU. Not too long into my time as vocation director, there was a real poverty of be like, how do I get my holy hour in today? Because it's not always in the same place. And a really funny story, I started to just tell the people in those communities, at those high schools, out of selfishness, I'm going to come an hour before Mass and I'm going to do my holy hour in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. So if you're here early and you want to join me, Mm. feel free to. And it's kind of cool to see students or faculty at any one of those schools take advantage of that, even if it's for 10 minutes or 15 minutes before Mass starts. One morning at Hayden High School, I have a young man who is a senior who's the server of that Mass Mm -hmm. every time, and he happened to show up a little bit early before Mass in time to partake in that holy hour. Mm. And after I reposed the Blessed Sacrament, we're back getting ready for Mass. And he said, Father Dan, can you do that anytime, anywhere? Like, no matter what, you can go into a a building and just, like, expose Jesus and spend time with him in the Blessed Sacrament? And I said, yeah, I guess I can. Like, that's one of the fruits of being a priest is, like, you you have that ability through the Sacrament of Holy Orders um, to access Jesus in that way and kind of make Mm -hmm. any 
place that you visit with the permission of the pastor there, your tabernacle, right? Your right. time with Jesus. And he was just, he was amazed at that. He thought that was so cool. Um, and so he's been coming even more a little bit early right. to partake in that. That's, that's really beautiful. I, I can just see a, a high schooler doing that. Um, uh, so to, to maybe flash back for just a second, um, what was your, what would you say your daily life looked like as an adult? You said you were engaged with uh, a young adult community, uh, a city on a hill, young adult community here in Kansas City. But um, what was your like normal life before seminary and as an adult? Sure. So um, I was a graphic designer. My degree is in graphic design. And so over the course of my nine and a half years working as a graphic designer in the Kansas City area, I worked for two firms. The first firm was about for seven and a half years. And the last firm was for that last two years. Mm. The geographic location of those two firms really dictated what my life looked like. So one was sure. located closer to the airport, kind of in Platte City area. Okay, so North Kansas City. So gotcha. not a lot of access to daily mass. I mean, I was it would have been a 25, 30 minute drive to find the nearest church oh, wow. uh, to do that. But once I moved downtown, and this is matching up with the arc of my conversion story, sure. I found myself next to the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, which actually was my home parish during the time, and so they offer noon Mass every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and so part of the rhythm of my life became my lunch hour two or three times a week yeah. going to that noon Mass. Mm -hmm. I mean, prior to my conversion, I mean, I like sports, and so I play golf, and so a lot of my social leisure time uh, right out of college was finding those kind of opportunities. Uh, I like to read. Um, but yeah, the more that the friend group started to develop, mm -hmm. the more you start spending time doing what those friends like to do right. and learning to love what they love. And that's kind of the analogy with our relationship with Christ. Like, the more time you spend with Jesus Christ, your friend, you learn to love the things that He loves, mm -hmm. and you learn to love the things that He loves, how He loves those things. Um, and that just that's, goes deeper. That's, that's the organic, yeah. sacramental... Um, reality, the truth of, of our existence. And, and you say your, your friend group kind of just, they were, they were a little bit just more in, maybe they were like a, a step or two in the, the commitment to, I don't know, uh, mass or this young adult community, but you just kind of started uh, to fall in love with what they were in love with. Right. Right. And, and, and de facto you, you fell in. It never felt forced. Right. Um, there wasn't a, you have to do that to be a part of our group. Right. You just saw and were attracted to, they seem to have a, a deeper order mm -hmm. or meaning to their life. There seems to be more peace. And yeah, as soon as you start to fall in line and start to do those things, right. ergo, that, that stuff starts happening in your life mm -hmm. as well. And what would you say to somebody who maybe has a, a hunger in their heart right now for that? Where would you, where would you point them? Um, I would point them to their nearest parish or young adult community, or, I mean, you got to start where, in a sense, Jesus says he will be, like where he told us, like, I am with you always until mm -hmm. the end of the age, and here's my church. Right. Uh, but from there, it becomes more personal, and you find the specific people within that larger community, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that you just are more attracted to, right? You find the smaller community within the larger community. Right. No, that's great. Um yeah, just just find a, just find somewhere, you know. Yeah, and there's some. I mean, some cities have a more active presence, say for like young adults than others. Mm -hmm. Or, but if you're if you're willing to put in the effort to look, you're going to find it wherever you are. Right. So um, the, the communities are there that will 
resonate with your heart um, and then help you resonate with, um, hopefully, with Jesus's heart. Yeah. And I, I know of, I know of folks who, um, where maybe there wasn't uh, a community like that, that they just started one. And they said, yeah. you know what, we want this and no one's going to do it for us. So we're just going to be it. And uh, if you feel that burning in your heart uh, today, just do it. Uh, take Nike's advice and just do it. Um, so what is what does your life look like in the Eucharist today? Um, what is what is your daily relationship with Jesus look like? Well, yeah, for me, I mean, obviously I, I have a mass scheduled every day except my day off. And on my day off, I either can celebrate one of our parish masses or uh, we'll celebrate mass on my own. And so it's, I mean, it, you can count on one hand um, the number of times I will on a day not be able to celebrate mass. So mm. it's, it's just a, an essential part of uh, my life every day. And then uh, the daily holy hour, um, there are, there's certainly a temptation to do that in just like comfortable places, but um, I, I push myself to, to make sure that I'm spending at least a, a good portion of that with the Lord in the Eucharist and if possible um, in Eucharist, Eucharistic adoration, so where he's um, exposed in the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. So um, those are just non-negotiables. Sure. Um, they're just at the heart of uh, who we are and who I am as a priest. And um, if if I ever got away from that, um, I, I think that the, the, the charcoal would, would get cool pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say to our brothers and sisters out there who are, might be thinking to themselves, like, I'm just too busy. Like I, I, you know, I'm 30 minutes from the nearest church. Um, I'm, I'm driving all the time. Like, what would you say to someone who has a hunger for that, but maybe just doesn't know like what next step to take? Yeah. A, a lot of people will say to, to me and to other priests, you know, like, oh, you're so busy, you're so busy, you're so busy. And it's true. I mean, not to, to tutor honor to anything like that, but we, we have plenty to do. And so I understand this idea of I'm busy. Mm-hmm. I get it. But I also understand that uh, it's hard to prioritize things and it's hard to to really enter into the the right aspects of the day, the, the right rhythm of the day, if we don't allow Jesus to be part of it. Mm. And so even though you have 7,000 things to do, it's amazing how if you spend time with Jesus, he will help you to see like, you actually, you really don't have to do this or you don't have to do that. Or if you don't get this done, I'm still going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of it. Mm. And so, so the first thing is just recognizing that we do kind of establish for ourselves like these, I, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. But we forget that Jesus knows way better than us what's really essential. But if we're not spending time with him, each day, we're, we're never really going to get that. And so no matter how busy we are, if we make time for him, he's going to help us order mm-hmm. and uh, reorder our right. day in a way that's pleasing to him. And that, you know, if there's nothing more important that we can do in life than to develop our relationship with the Lord, because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, for us to to ever fall into the trap of thinking that something else is more important than that 
uh, is a pretty, it's just a, a slippery slope to go down and it doesn't make much sense. It, it can be very short-sighted, not as it, I'm not saying that judgmentally, but it, it is. I mean, it's, it's just focused on this, this life or this day, whereas uh, Jesus has an, an eternal plan for us. Mm-hmm. Th- that's what I would say first. But, but secondly, like any schedule, what we do is we prioritize the things that we think are most important. And, and if we are just willing to stop and say, I'm going to prioritize spending time with Jesus each day, you can do it. You can put it in there and do it. Um, if you're not a slave to your schedule, but you're the master of your schedule and let Jesus word. be the master yeah. of your schedule, you can do it. You just have to admit that um, you pri- you do what you think is a priority. So if you make it a priority, sure. it will become part of your schedule. That's great. And I, I know some, uh, yeah, go ahead, Father Dan. I was just going to add to that. A much holier priest than myself once made the distinction in a homily. We talk about, I don't have time, I just need to make time. He said, none of us have the power to make time. We only have the power to take time mm-hmm. that has been given to us as a gift. And so just reframing it, it was just like, we all have 24 hours in a day, and none of us are more busy than the Lord himself. And so, yeah, we look at the priorities, how they mm-hmm. shake out in his own life, do I have the capacity or do I have the generosity to take the time with the Lord to let him order order my days? And I would just say as a priest, as priest, we're not any busier than a mother and a father with a family. In fact, there's probably several arguments that can be made. It's like we're actually not even as busy as like the daily sacrifices that that need to be made or are being made mm. by a husband and a father who have, you know, that vocation, that beautiful vocation to marriage. Um but with that in mind, you know, I think of the story of, of, of Martha and Mary, mm. and like the lesson found within that story is the very thing that we're trying to hone in on right here. Jesus isn't angry with Martha because she's doing things. Mm-hmm. He's concerned that she's anxious about many things, and what he's inviting her to and what he invites us to in that story is to spend some time daily with him at his feet and allow him to do exactly what Father Scott was was alluding to, mm-hmm. um, prioritizing what the most important thing is, and let the things that need to actually be done each day just flow from that relationship with our Lord. It's so, I mean, it's so easy to get in our heads about it, right? But it it really is just quite simple to just pause, to just stop, and and to just zoom out. Right. And the Lord, he, He's really good at that. He always sees the big picture. He sees with the eternal mindset, the eternal perspective. And uh, he's inviting us into that, like you said. It's be- yeah. really beautiful. And to do the right thing in this fallen world is always going to require sacrifice. Mm. But even to be reminded what the word sacrifice means, sacrifice comes from two words, sacra, which means sacred, to make holy, and fice comes from the Latin feature, facere, which means to do or to make. And so if we're willing to make those kinds of sacrifices with our time to put the most important thing, the most important thing, then the fruit of doing that will make every part of our day holy, right? Well, my mind is just, uh, well, blown right now. Um, Latin. It'll get you. I, if I can add something to that, um, when I went into the seminary and I spent five years there, probably needed another 10, but I, um, 
when I went into the seminary, I didn't have, I didn't do a holy hour um, already every day. I wasn't praying the liturgy of the hours every day. And when I look back on it now, I mean, those things are just, they're just part of my day. I, I, I can't imagine a day going by where I didn't have mass. Right. I didn't uh, celebrate or go, uh, pray a holy hour and I didn't uh, pray the liturgy of the hours. But I didn't the first day of seminary start a holy hour and start praying all the day, the hours of the liturgy of the hours. I slowly added that to my right. days. Yeah. And so um, we we all in our minds maybe have an ideal of like, oh, I need to spend this much time praying or whatever. Hopefully you 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 will get there eventually. But Start out by saying, okay, this week I'm I'm going to make sure that I'm spending 10 or 15 minutes with the Lord every day. And then you slowly increase that. And and you'll you'll start to see that it's possible to fit it into your schedule, even as life gets busier, because it's just become an essential, like eating breakfast or sleeping or right. showering, you know? Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. And the further, the more that it's in your schedule, the more it becomes just who you are right? We are what we do, or we are, our life is, uh, is the summation of those decisions that we make, those little things, those little times and choices that we make the, to make things holy. Um, is, is my life a sacrifice? Well, how many, how much of my life is a, a choice of making something sacred, uh, especially with my time? That's a great, uh, yeah, I want to take that to prayer. That's deep. Um, so what, I mean, so many of our brothers and sisters out there, and I think we too just have to admit and be honest with ourselves that we, uh, we often wrestle with the reality of Jesus in the Eucharist, and it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery of faith. Um, so anybody who might be on the fence out there, you're not alone, but Father um, Father Dan, Father Scott, what would you guys say to um, anybody out there who's kind of um, trying to wrap their head around this, trying to wrap their heart around this? Uh, feel free to just speak into that. Yeah, I think our whole life is this struggle to to deepen our faith such that we truly believe in the power of God's Word. We truly believe in His Word, the efficacy of His Word, and that means we believe in everything that He has has said to us. And so, you know, I, I think about just natural relationships here on earth, right? I've lost my mom about 22 years ago, and when we lose somebody, or when somebody even knows, so her, her death was such that it was sudden, um, it was a car accident, but when we know we're losing somebody, when we know that somebody is going on to another, to the Lord, going home to the Lord, or maybe they've just visited for a vacation and they know they're not going to see that person again for a while mm-hmm. until next year or a couple years, they always leave a memento of themselves. Like they always want to say, you know, remember me, or we always try to find a memento of that person just on a natural level. Right. Like I've got a picture of my mom still up on. The mantle, right, at home. And so if that's true on a natural level, when Jesus goes home to the Father, doesn't it make sense that he would desire to leave something of himself that we could remember him by that would be his presence? Like, we would never mm-hmm. be without him. And if he promises to be with us always until the end of the age, then on one level, mm. yeah, it's him. It's truly him, and let's let's take him at his word. And then spending time with him, like we've been talking about in adoration and prayer in the believing community, you'll come to know on deeper and deeper levels over the course of that relationship unfolding that right. he is truly there. He has shown up in concrete, incarnational ways right. uh, in my life, and I am 
I'm changing, I am changed. And so that's almost proof right. that, that his words are true. Mm. And, and we as humans, we, we, we may not admit it, but we, we, go, we do so many things and believe so many things based on the words of others. Um, and so of all the people to believe, Jesus Christ would be the one to believe and to believe his word. And when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, to believe him, to take him at his word. But we also believe other people. And when we're looking at the history of the church, I would challenge anybody to, to find a saint who we hold up as as great examples to find a saint who did not have a devotion to the Eucharist, mm. who did not um, love Jesus in the Eucharist. And, and so if these people who are who live heroic, virtuous lives prioritize and and believe firmly in the Eucharistic presence of our Lord, we we at some point just have to um, allow ourselves to just embrace that, even if we can't wrap our minds around it. The saints couldn't wrap their minds around it. Only Jesus could wrap his mind around it. But if they're, it, when they were able to just release their hearts to it and just embrace it, it transformed them. And if, if we can just uh, allow ourselves to say, Jesus said that it's his body and blood— all of these saints say it's a, its body and his body and blood, and the church for two thousand years has consistently said mm-hmm. it's his body and blood. I I may not understand it, but I just need to abandon myself to that and see what happens. And when you do, just the fruit that comes from that can be tremendous. Right. That's the openness, the 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 disposition of love, um, being the the key factor there, right? And just trusting that he is who he says he is and that he'll continue to reveal himself to us uh, over time. Because it's not, uh, you know, we're not all St. Paul. We can't all just get knocked off our horse and have an immediate and like almost total divine download uh, of revelation and understanding. Um, but yeah, just the patience that's that's needed for that because the Lord is patient and he's gradual. Yeah, but he, he can also speak in two by fours too, which is, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Yeah, he'll throw two by four every now and then. So a really cool thing that I heard, and I don't know if we'll be able to unpack it and articulate it super well, but we just celebrated Christmas. Mm -hmm. And at some level, if we believe that that baby in that manger is truly God in the flesh, then it's not that far of a logical step to believe that he can also enter into another part of his creation, mm-hmm. which would be grain and wine to become right. body, blood, soul, mm-hmm. and divinity. Fulton Sheen, and this is the part where I'll see, we'll see how we come are on, able to unpack on. this. <laughs> yeah, so Archbishop Fulton Sheen, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, had this analogy in his book, The Mystical Body of Christ, and he says, for every lower form of life to participate in the higher form of life, that lower form of life has to die to itself and be absorbed into that higher form of life. And so when you start at the level of the minerals and the water, like eventually those have to be absorbed into the, into the earth. And he's talking about the biosphere here, right? Yeah. Just at the, just on the natural, physical, biological level. 
has to be absorbed into the earth, into the roots of the plant, and now it's participating in the next higher form of life, which would be plant life. If that plant wants to participate in the next higher form of life, which would be animal, ultimately that plant, that wheat, has to become grain and has to be put in the trough of the cattle and has to be consumed by the cattle. Mm -hmm. If the animal wants to participate in the next higher form of life, which would be human life, well, then that cow, and I had this conversation with second graders up in Garnett. So good. They got it. They're on the farms, right? They're like, it has to become a hamburger, father. I'm like, yeah, or a steak, right? When you get older, you'll prefer a steak to a hamburger. Um, but they got like it. If we as humans want to participate in a higher form of life, what has to happen, mm -hmm. we have to become like a grain of wheat and die and allow ourselves to be consumed into the divine life. Yeah. Well, that's where the analogy falls short just a little bit. But what did God do? He became man, he became incarnate to die that death and rise that life, right? Mm -hmm. And come in a form and make himself available in a form that when we consume that wheat, that grain of wheat become bread from heaven, mm. that it we don't consume it, it consumes us and we become transformed into the divine life. We become elevated. Yeah. So if that can be played out and understood by a second grader, on a natural level, we and they trust. were they were all on board. They're getting ready to celebrate their first communion. They were all excited that that's what's going to happen. That's what yeah. they're going to have access to. Um, we can trust it too. Yeah, Amen. Uh, so now I think would be a great time um, to transition into the, the second part of our conversation today about um, Sacramentum Caritatis, and we were going to uh, open up the next fifteen or so paragraphs of that document. Last week we we wrapped up at paragraph fifteen and. Uh, we're just going to pick it up and go up to paragraph 33 and maybe beyond. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But um, gentlemen, I just want to hear um, who, so Pope Benedict, he wrote this in 2007 in the second year of his pontificate to offer some basic directions aimed at a renewed commitment to Eucharistic enthusiasm and fervor in the church. So that plus he wanted to encourage all of us to deepen our understanding of the Eucharist, uh, the Eucharistic mystery, because it is a mystery and the liturgical action, the, the act of uh, spiritual worship, which derives its uh, its very essence from the Eucharist, um, it, it being the sacrament of charity. So like that's, those were the, the intentions of the Holy Father. But I just want to know, who who is Pope Benedict XVI to you? Um, and, and what role did he play in, in your life? Well, I, I would consider myself um, a, a JP2 priest in terms of... Um, he was the example that I had of a of a pope for you know most of my life, and there are so many of us who were inspired by his um, example of faith, his his energy, his love, his joy, his wisdom, um, his faithfulness to the church, just like all of that. Um, but I'm also uh, I like to. Um, have the faith explained to me in a way that I can embrace and to be able to, to then explain it to other people. I, I want to I want to be able to wrap my mind around things and help other people wrap their minds around mm -hmm. things. And Pope Benedict was one of the best at doing that. Amen. His writing is so clear and so packed with good information that it that is digestible, even though he was very intelligent and speaks about very intelligent things. And probably th three of my most favorite books of all times would be uh, Jesus of Nazareth, 
the infancy narratives, his his life of ministry, and Holy Week. And those are Pope Benedict's books about the Lord. And what's what I, I one of the things I love about Pope Benedict is his ability to um, embrace scholarship, like biblical scholarship, right. and to see the good that's there mm-hmm. and dialogue with it to also be able to say like, this is where the scholarship has kind of gone off the rails a little bit. Mm. Um, because too often, unfortunately, um, th- that scholarship can just lead to a lack of faith almost or to a, a lack of belief of what truly happened in Scripture mm-hmm. or who Jesus truly is. And he's able to dialogue with it, to to pull the good, to see how it it, it deepens our understanding of who Jesus is, but then also to say like this isn't quite right, and and let's let's show how uh, Jesus really is present here. Je- Jesus's miracles really did happen, or w- whatever it is. And right. so just his ability to to dialogue with scholarship um, to help us understand Scripture and the Lord uh, has just been very beneficial to me. Amen. Sure, I would echo Father Scott. I'm I'm a JP two priest. Um, in some sense, I remember sitting on my couch at, you know, watching on the news, his funeral liturgy and just the commentators going over the review of his life and just weeping. So I'm like, that's the measure right there. Like, can I, can I make of my life a gift like this man has made of his life a gift? And I was thinking priesthood already in seminary, but hadn't quite made that final decision. So that's true with my life and relationship and being inspired by John Paul II. But every book on my shelf that I was reading at the time to grow in my faith was authored by Benedict XVI. There you go. Um, so that just echoes Father Scott. And I would say anybody out there who says, well, I could never pick up a book by Benedict XVI and read it and understand it, if you've read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, he's the principal author of the current edition of the Catechism of the right. Catholic Church. And so you're already doing that if that's the first step that you right. take. If you like Father Mike, Father Mike Schmitz, and listen into his new Catechism in a Year, if you can jive with that, you can jive with Pope Benedict XVI. Amen. And I, um, it, it's sad that he has passed, but if anybody deserved to go to his eternal reward, um, it's him. And selfishly, one of the things I'm kind of excited about is to find out what he's been writing for, since he I said the same thing. stepped yeah. down, because none of that has been published. But just to know the other insights that he's he's been able to share is kind of exciting. Right. Yeah, there's a book coming out, I think, that's going to record, or they've recorded his daily Mass homilies oh, while wow. he was celebrating daily Mass to an audience of three or four people wow. in Mater Ecclesia. So just to get somebody towards the end of their life who's reflecting on their life in a deeper way as they're right. ready to go home to the Lord and see how that comes to life and can bring ours, our lives to life. Right. Yeah, I would just say that like he's so clear right yeah. he's and he's not he's not difficult to understand like he like you said he takes the best of scholarship and I, I think he he presents it in a way that it's um digestible like you said not just for the scholar though but for i think i think anybody with a heart to to, to desire it because i uh what i mean to say is that like when you when you become so in tune with truth and this man was in tune with truth like you you almost become a type of mystic because of uh, everything's just 
integrated into your into your frame framework of, of seeing the world right everything that you do and um it, it, like your, your lens of life just changes when you're so in tune with the lord like that and for for pope benedict the 16th it was it was truth right it was truth and um and it's through his communion with truth capital t truth um and a deep and rich understanding of our capital t tradition um that I think he just opened and, and continues to open and unlock doors for people um, all over the world. Yeah, and I, I think some of us sometimes might be, we, maybe most of the examples of people of faith that we have are are simple people like, you know, a, a, a grandma or that, that that old woman that goes to mass every day or whatever. Right. And they they have a wisdom in their own right, but they may not be as scholarly as as other people. And we might think like, well, if I was if if I really grew in knowledge, if I really became super educated, I'd probably f- pull full of, more away from the faith because you know then I I'd, I'd have more reason or whatever. But like he's an example of he that was an extremely intelligent man who um, understood reason and dialogued with reason well, and he had an extremely deep faith. And so to not be afraid of study and learning because it, um, if it's rooted in the truth, mm-hmm. um, it's only going to deepen our faith. Right. Right. You know, one of the beautiful things that I heard recently, um, I've heard this about John Paul II and at his deathbed, whoever was present tradition holds that his last words that were audible to people that were around him, right. As he passed from this life to the next were, I've been looking for you my whole life. And so it's like, wow, you only say that if now the person that you've been looking for is mm. currently in front of you and you've got the beatific vision going on. Right. They say that the last words of Benedict XVI were, I love you, Lord. Mm. And it's just like, put all of his life and scholarship and right. faith into that one single sentence. That's great. Yeah. Mm. There's the exclamation point on, yep. Yeah. It was all done for love of love of Jesus. That's so, it's so good. Um, that's, I want to, yeah, I love you, Lord. I want to love you more. Like that's, that's a common prayer of mine. So I, I want, I want that uh, more and more every day. Um, so let's crack open this, this document um, written by this heroic man. Just what were your gold nuggets? Anything, whether it be from this section or another section in the document, anything is fair game. Well, um, so the, Part of the section that we are talking about today is the Eucharist and the sacraments, um, and it's not surprising that in in uh, uh, paragraph seventeen he says the Eucharist is truly the source and summit of the Church's life and mission. And I have to admit, it took me years and years to really I heard that over and over again, and until it finally like clicked, like okay, source and summit, like. It's the beginning of everything, and it's the culmination of everything. Everything starts there, everything ends there, um, and is is pointed towards there. And if you think about that in terms of the Mass, mm-hmm. we go to Mass, uh, we receive the Word, but we receive the Eucharist, and that's where we begin, then we go out into the world, and everything that we do should be focused on, in some way or another, bringing the world back to the Mass. Mm to its summit. And then we receive the source again, and then we go back out, and then we come back again. So it's this like constant um, circle of 
receiving the source and then doing ordering everything in our life towards bringing everything to the summit. So that that is also true of um, the sacraments, like all of their power flows from the Eucharist mm. because um, in no other sacrament is Jesus as as present and as real, you know, as tangible, we'll say, as the Eucharist. I mean, it's it's his body and blood in in a way that right. he's... It's it's not in the in the other sacraments, and so all of them receive their power from that. So, so the Eucharist is the source and summit not only of the Christian life, but also of the sacraments themselves. And mm-hmm. so then he goes on to speak of baptism and confirmation and holy orders and matrimony and reconciliation and right. um, and and all of those. But it it's all rooted in the Eucharist. To to try to think of the sacramental life of the Church without the Eucharist just doesn't make sense. Exactly. Yeah, St. Exactly. Thomas Aquinas says that all the other sacraments minus the Eucharist um, are a mediation of God's grace in that sacrament, either through a priest or, you know, absolution in the sacrament of reconciliation, mm-hmm. but the Eucharist is Christ himself. So when you have that communicated to you at every Mass, that's without mediation, if you will, right. upon receiving that sacrament. Right. Right. He actually dwells in you. Body, blood, physically. soul, and divinity, physically. Yeah, yeah, that'll make your brain explode if you if you sit there for a minute. So, you know, I actually looked a little bit further on in this document, um, and as a vocation director, and Father Scott is former vocation director and still working with seminarians. Um, I mean, basically, this document and others have said it too because they're part of the church and her wisdom recognized that you're never going to find your vocation apart from the one who gives you that vocation, who calls mm-hmm. you to that vocation. So you're never going to find your vocation apart from spending time with Jesus, especially right. in the forms that he's given himself to us to spend time with. So the Mass and Eucharistic adoration, right, in that chapel that we all have talked about as part of our journeys and the part of the journey of every every life of the saint. And so... One common denominator, and it's not a surprise, of every young man who feels a call to the priesthood or even meeting their spouse and starting to date them and feeling that stronger call to the sacrament of holy matrimony, Mm -hmm. have the common denominator of doing that in the context of holy hour, right? regular life, rhythm of life of holy hour, spending time with Jesus in those ways. Intimacy, like uh, presupposes... uh, communion like uh, and vice versa just like you have to if you want to know somebody you gotta spend time with them and the, yeah like it's got to be and with jesus the the principal uh the time maker like what better way to spend it to to waste it even uh than to just make a gift of it back to him right and and every vocation here on earth is a foretaste of our ultimate vocation, which is to be with the Lord right. eternally, right? And um, and so the Eucharist at Mass and in adoration gives us a very strong uh, foretaste. And if that's if that's ultimately what we are made for, then why not begin to participate in that now? And it will only strengthen. Um, our engagement of whatever our vocation is, if we are 
already getting a taste of what that vocation is ultimately supposed to be pointing towards. Mm. The Eucharistic banquet, the eschatological, the end of time, like heavenly banquet of, of communion yeah. in him. Uh, heaven's going to be a party. It, it is, it is a party. And I, I can't wait, God willing, uh, to, to be there. You know, to keep speaking into what we've just been talking about, um, just vocational principle of discernment, you cannot love what you do not know, so mm-hmm. we have to spend time with the one that we love, and you cannot choose what you do not love. And so when we think about the choices, even though it's a calling of all the vocations, yeah, it just deepens the understanding of, like, I have to spend time getting to know the one I love, and through that relationship, I will learn to love what he loves for me and realize that that's the deepest desire of my heart, and I'll be willing to choose that out of love for the one that I now love and am being loved by right. on a deeper level. In my time in seminary, we had to write a number of longer papers, and one of them that I chose to wrote, write, I chose to wrote, I, chose failed, to wrote I failed that class. <laughs> yeah, um, good thing you had yes. an editor when yeah. you wrote those. Sure. Um, was on the Gospel of John, and we had to pick a pericope. A pericope is just like pick a passage or one line that you want to unpack and explore for mm-hmm. 20 pages, right? And so my one line that I chose is now inscribed on the bottom of my chalice, mm-hmm. and it is John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, I want to know what it means to know. Right eternal life, because that's that's the goal, right? Right. Um, and so in unpacking that, and, and John, the author of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation and the letters to John, um, if you look at all the stories, whether it's the woman at the well or his encounter with Nicodemus, mm-hmm. every story is chocked full with those who follow Jesus Christ know something. Those who choose not to follow Jesus Christ, he describes as they didn't know him, mm. right? And so the wedding at Cana, there's some servers, which we get the word diaconate from, diaconoi, mm-hmm. who are fetching the water for Jesus to perform the miracle of turning water into wine. And at the end of the miracle, it says, those in the crowd did not know how water, this water was changed into the finest wine, but the servers did. Mm-hmm. And so John is trying to show us throughout his gospel that true knowledge, full biblical knowledge, isn't just head knowledge, but it's knowledge that flows from experiencing the life of the one that you're coming to know, so participating in his life. And so that's the kind of biblical knowledge of, I just didn't learn something from a book. Right. I started to follow this man as a true disciple, and that's what the disciple-master relationship is about. Right. And he was teaching me how to live, but not just teaching me what I need to do in any given situation, but by doing those things, I came to know eternal life, right. life in him. Right. That's such a good... I think important distinction. It's not uh, read a book; it's life lived alongside the life giver. And yeah, yeah just the high priestly prayer of Jesus, John seventeen. If you've if you've never sat down to to read through that and to pray through that, uh, it's it's so so rich. Please do that, everybody. Now go. And the beautiful part of that prayer is it's broken into three different parts of chapter seventeen in the Gospel of John. The first prayer is Jesus' prayer to the Father, Thanksgiving. And then the next section of that chapter is Jesus praying for his immediate disciples who are around him, his priest, right? But then the next chapter, the next part of that chapter is Jesus praying for those who will come to believe through the witness of his disciples and his church. And so there's evangelization 101 built into 
the Mass. Mm. We come, we believe, he wants to pray that we receive eternal life and knowledge of him, but then to go forth from each Mass and go out into the world that our witness can bring others to that table mm. as well. Wow. I kind of just want to stop this and just like go go pray, because that was, I'm um, getting my mind blown. Uh, that's probably the fifth time now. In his connecting the Eucharist to the sacraments, he spends time with the priesthood and with holy matrimony. So holy matrimony, um, the the deep connection there is the the way the nuptial element of the Eucharist, like mm. Jesus giving himself completely mm. to us just as a husband and wife should be giving themselves completely to each other. And um, when that, when I was in seminary and s- someone, uh, one of my teachers said that the Eucharist, each, each time we go to the Eucharist, it's like each time that a husband and wife renew their sacrament through their nuptial bond. Mm. And that was the first time it, that really resonated in my head, like, right. oh my gosh, yeah, that's like, it's like the marriage bed um, mm-hmm. where Jesus is just giving himself totally to us. We receive, hopefully we give ourselves totally back to him. Um, but then in his discussion about the priesthood and, you know, that there would be something that Father Dan and I would be more focused on just being vocational right. uh, directors, he talks about the everything that the priest does, but especially the mass, is it's not about the priest, it's about who he's representing, who he's in in the person of Jesus himself. And that was such a great reminder to me because I I'm just an instrument for him I, um to 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 care for his people. Mm-hmm. We I mean it's food for the journey. Like that's that's something that he talks about in, in paragraph 30 is just we've all we've all got to live forever somewhere. And ideally that's in the the, the banquet hall of the Lord. The, the gift on the way is also where we hope to arrive in perpetual adoration of him in eternal glory and praise. And I, I just can't help but think of Lord of the Rings and how uh, the Lemba spread, right? Given by the elves who uh, Tolkien says they represent the angels, right? The, um, the heavenly realm and this heavenly bread, which sustains them and gives them energy and life more than it should. Uh, is what gets them through to the end. And I, th- I think the same thing applies to us here. It's just that the only way to to just be sustained, like through burnout in anything, through anxiety in anything, through really any struggle or cross that you might be carrying is through the heavenly bread given uh, once and for all and daily in the Eucharist. I, Yeah, it's profound. No, that makes me think of, as vocation director, when people ask, what is the priesthood? I'm one that wants to look at the words mm. of anything and unpack like the etymology of those words to help us understand yeah. the answer to your question. So we call the sacrament holy orders. And the whole mission of the priest participating in the priesthood, the ministerial priesthood of Jesus Christ, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, is to make others holy. Mm. And so it makes sense that our whole life is oriented toward like, well, they need Jesus to carry out their vocation well, to live that mm-hmm. well, to carry out their mission. And Jesus has told us that he wants to become present to us in this form, and then therefore we need priests to be able to bring that sacrament about, right. the Eucharist, in their lives. You also think about what we call, what the Church calls, that last Eucharist that a person receives mm-hmm. 
on their deathbed, viaticum, it's a word that means via, way, t, you, and cum, with. And so that last Eucharist with you on the way as you make that final step from this life to the next. It's your to, it's your to go Eucharist. And you think about, you just, it is, yeah. You think about, you think about, um, lost my train of thought real I'm quick. sorry, <laughs> I ruined it, I'm sorry. You think about everything that we, that, that, the, that the gospel demands of us. At the end of the day, you have to say, I need that piece of bread to be Jesus, because if it's just a piece of bread, I'm not going to have what it takes to actually carry out the commands of Jesus all throughout his gospel. Right. Because it's him who is operative in us. Um, like all his grace, right? Um, amen. I'm sorry about the to-go Eucharist. I didn't mean to ruin it there. It's all right. I'm sure it helps somebody out there. Yeah. It, I know just it, it, it unlocked one door for one person, and that's enough. <laughs> um, come Lord Jesus. Um, but yeah, any, any closing thoughts here? Um, it's been touched on a couple of times, just this idea that we can receive the Eucharist every day. And I think that we take that for granted. I know that I do. Because um, I can not only can I receive the Eucharist every day, but I can do it at any time that I want. You know, I mean, I, on my day off, I can celebrate Mass whenever I want to. But um, we can receive Jesus in the Eucharist every single day. And as Father Dan said, like to, to live out the gospel and all of its demands and to, to, to do that is daunting. But if we stop and go, well, but wait, but the one who gave me the gospel and gave me that challenge is going to be with, is willing to be with me, in me, filling me, strengthening me, guiding me every single day um, in the Eucharist. I would hope, and I and I know that the bishops are hoping for this too, that this these years of focus on the Eucharist will, in renewing our recognition of Jesus truly being present there, will also help us to to see like if he's truly present there, why would I not want to receive him as often as possible, and if we struggle with how do I make time for that or whatever. We're talking about being having the greatest possibility for union with the one who made us and made us the way that we are and gave us the mission that we have and all the things that we have to do. Where else would we want to be than to be with him, receiving him, so that everything else that we do is done with the Lord who calls us to all of that. So mm. I... I I hope that um, as we deepen our love and understanding of uh, Jesus and the Eucharist, um, more and more people will see the beauty of of coming to receive him daily at Mass. Yeah, I'll just close with just saying, uh, in, in an interview with uh, Jason Everett, um, Jason and Kristalina Everett, they give chastity talks, they're in charge of the Chastity Project. This is something he shared a long time ago, but when he started going to daily Mass or even just going to Mass on Sundays on a regular basis, he said he had a friend of his approach him and say, hey, you went to Mass? Like, don't you have anything better to do with your time? And he said, actually, no, I don't. Like, this is the best thing that I can do with my time is to receive what Father Scott's just been unpacking with mm -hmm. the greatest gift. And 
no surprise, right, that when the disciples ask the Lord, teach us how to pray, the Lord gives those disciples and us the formula of the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father at the heart of which is, give us this day our, our daily, daily bread. bread, which he's not talking about. I'm going to Panera with a discerner right after this Come podcast, on. and I love Panera, but it's not the daily bread that we're asking for in that prayer. They it's got some good the bread, super though. substantial bread. Yep. So, it, Just an encouragement. To, I mean, um, what would you say to any of our, our gentlemen out there who um, are single and, and feel this uh, this, this call to inquire, you know, what would you, what advice would you share? I would just say, come and see. Um, that, that's the fascinating thing about all the call stories in the Gospels, especially of those who we know end up becoming those first 12 apostles. Um, Jesus just invites them to come and see. What are you looking for? Never at the beginning of the journey does Jesus say, I need you to be my priest, right? That comes three years later mm-hmm. when they're sitting around that table. And so I would say, be not afraid, come and see, just follow Jesus. This Sunday's gospel is beautiful. It's simply the gospel where we hear John the Baptist pointing his disciples, Andrew, mm. to behold the Lamb of God. Right. And so we all need to be John the Baptist in our lives and say, I'm just going to point you to the one who has the answer to the deepest desire of your heart. Right. Don't be afraid to start following him, and that will unlock your question. Right. Yeah, I mean, if we wanted to discern marriage, we we would not lock ourselves away from women all the time. Like we would want to get to know them, have friendships with them, see the 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 beauty in the in femininity and in their character and start to see the attributes that we want in our spouse. And it doesn't does not make sense to say I I'm I'm uh I think I might be called to be married, but to never be around women. If we don't give ourselves the opportunity to be around Jesus in his most tangible presence in the Eucharist, um, it, it's, it's hard to imagine that we're going to have a ton of clarity of uh, being knowing that we're, we're called to, to be with him in a special way throughout this life and to bring him in a special way to other people. Even if that's not ultimately going to be your call, you, you, you need to, um, to put yourself in his presence so that he can make that clear to you. But if we avoid him, it it doesn't lead to clarity. It just leads to more confusion. Mm. Well, yeah, it's been great having you uh, both on. And I just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your, your priesthood. Thank you for your fatherhood. Thank you for your, I tried to figure out what this word was yesterday, but um, your pastor, pastorship-hood-ing. Um, <laughs> thank you for your leadership, um, and thank you for shepherding uh, your your flocks. It's you, You're the ones, you, you are the ones sitting here. You're the reason, um, aside from Jesus, obviously, who actually make it possible for us to receive our Lord. Well, so we get you. we get way more than we give, for mm-hmm. sure. So it's a blessing to yeah. have this vocation, and uh, thank you for for doing this podcast. And um, thanks to all the people who are listening to this, that you would take the time to uh, spend more time mm-hmm. ta- talking and thinking and praying about the Eucharist during this time of focus on the Eucharist and Eucharistic amazement, because um, it, again, it's the heart. 
it's the source and summit of who we are. And so this is time well spent, And but but God bless you for making the time. Uh, Father, would you be, um, wait, maybe just a, a quick couple announcements here. Just um, like if wherever you're listening, if, if you're not sure what your parish is doing, um, with respect to the the, the National Eucharistic Revival, um, I would encourage you to inquire, to, to reach out to your, your parish to see um, what what they're doing, how you can get involved, how you can help spread the devotion. The churches, um, you know, we're, we need we need yeses. We need yeses to, to jump in. And uh, so just reach out. Um, if you want more resources on uh, the Holy Eucharist or formation or prayer resources, uh, if you're a deacon or a priest listening to this, we've got preaching resources for you on our website, archkck.org slash revival. And we've got all this stuff for you guys uh, right there. So uh, bless you for for listening. Uh, thank you so much for, for saying yes to the to the podcast. Um, but Father Scott, you being the uh, most tenured of us all here. Right. Would you be so the kind as guest. would you be <laughs> would you be so kind as to uh, wrap us out with a, a blessing? Certainly. Uh, let's begin, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for all of your gifts, uh, but especially the gift of the church who faithfully brings us the greatest gift, which is the gift of your Son in the Eucharist. May we, during this time of Eucharistic amazement and revival, um, have a deepening love for uh, your Son in the Eucharist. Uh, May we receive him more frequently and more faithfully. May we spend even more and more fruitful time with him in adoration and prayer. And may we all be blessed with abundant graces to live out um, our Eucharistic call here in the world to bring your son and his presence to everyone that we meet. And I ask you to send your blessings down upon all who are listening in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been New Mana, your newest, favoritest Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. Uh, We'll see you next week. God bless you.